up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship podcast. This is episode 81. Uh, and today I'm talking to Chief Warrant Officer Brian Brown of Sailors and Sticks fame. Uh, I know a lot of you are probably familiar with him, but if you're not a uh, submariner, he was a senior chief uh, and then picked up Chief Warrant Officer and is now doing uh, weapons officer things and also doing amazing things with Sailors and Sticks, which uh, we get into that, but we also talk a bunch about leadership development and stuff. Like always, uh, it's kind of what we do here. So um, I've kind of been in the same orbit as him is probably a good way of describing it. I've been aware of him and what he does and just haven't gotten around to talking to him until the awesome dudes over at Test Depth hooked me up. And, uh, and yeah, it was really fun. I'm really glad I got to talk to him and I hope you guys enjoy it. Check it out. Yeah, man. So uh, like we talked about, just we'll start with your background, as much detail as you want to provide about your experience in the Navy and how you arrived to where you are now. And then we'll go from there. All right. All right. So uh, my name is Brian Brown. Uh, joined the Navy in 2001. Been in over 20 years now. Uh, started off in San Diego. Uh, my first boat was USS Bremerton out of there. Uh, went to Hawaii. Did some time there. Went to Groton, Connecticut after that spent some time in Virginia and now I'm all over the world now uh, (laughs) in Guam uh, doing that and uh, did the conversion path from uh, senior chief to warrant officer and I'm currently serving as a submarine ordinance warrant officer right now. Yeah. And are are you stationed in Guam right now? Uh, Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I was wondering if you're just traveling because like, yeah, yeah, I was just there a couple, like a couple months ago. Um, so, yeah, man, like I'm curious, like first I, I'll probably just start with the warrant officer thing is like I, I'm curious, like I, I mentioned before we started recording, like I've had an LDO on and kind of explained that program. But for somebody that because most LDOs like it, it seems to me and like the guys I've known, it's like they make chief and they're a chief for like maybe a year or two and then they pick up LDO. Right. Some of them, yeah. it's like they get selected for chief, put it on and the ink still dry on their frocking letter and they pick oh, up yeah. LDO. So. <laughs> Like, what's it like to be a chief for that long, lead in those positions, and then transition into the warrant program? Like, how does that leadership dynamic change? You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm obviously super familiar with being a chief, but like, it must be a, an adjustment. Well, it's an adjustment because uh, there's some chiefs that don't really like the path you're going on. Uh, yeah. I say, for the most part, my friends were pretty supportive of me making that decision. You got the occasional jokes and stuff like that. But, right. Um, that path is different. Because, I mean, as a chief, you're responsible for your division and your, your division only, but making that conversion over to officer, you're responsible for policy, a lot of admin too, and yeah. also taking over the division too. So you have to use the stuff you learned when you were a senior chief or a chief, master chief, whatever uh, whatever realm you fall into, you still have to use those leadership skills that you gain there too. So Yeah. Um, Did you ever have any issues like... I've heard I've never actually experienced like somebody that was like, especially like a senior chief that couldn't like, they didn't want to give up their role as a chief. So they would try to like be that and be something else. Do you have any, ever have any issues like separating that and like, just be like, Oh, this is a new role for me now. So I have to function. No, I mean, you have internal conversations with myself. Like I've I've had internal conversations with, it's like, Hey man, that's not your role anymore. Like staying kind of thing. So uh, I try to talk myself off that ledge before I get involved in that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that I haven't had to poke my head in things, but right. um, normally I let the chiefs do their job. And like, I know how it was for me having somebody step on my toes and I was like, man, I got this, leave me alone. So yeah, yeah. Uh, 
it's just one of those things that you just got to remember that's not your that's not your that's not your bag anymore so you kind of got to step out of that for a little bit yeah how how receptive are and i i would imagine it'd be more younger chiefs but like how receptive are they to like you giving them advice based on your experience as a chief because it's not like that goes away right and you've been around for a long time so like are do you, do you find that chiefs are receptive to to you kind of like providing mentorship and stuff or is it more like you're an o-ganger now so go away no i always joke around with the ldos and stuff is like the best part being a lot warrant officer is you automatically get street cred right so like yeah everybody knows you <laughs> be a chief right so yeah uh they're more receptive of it uh Usually you get like an LDO or somebody, they might have some difficulty with that because people don't know their background. But right. uh, if you got if you got a CWO bar on, people know that you were a chief, at least for some period of time. Right. So right. Uh, people are receptive of that and you were able to do that well. And you obviously got promoted through the ranks. So um, I haven't got too much pushback on that. Um, some people don't like the conversion, no matter which pathway you do. Yeah. It, they'll always be mad. But what I found out about most of those people, they're mad they didn't get selected because they try to apply for it, too. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah. yeah, dude. I like so I always had trouble with I've run the chief season since like 2012, almost every year. And so, like, I always had trouble with when I was running it. I was just like, if there's warrants locally, like they should be invited to events because once a chief, always a chief. Right. And it's like it's not once a chief, always a chief asterisk. Like it's it's right. now they were selected and initiated and accepted just like everyone else. And like, well, they gave that up when they, it's like, no, they didn't shut up. Like, what's the difference yeah. between a retiree and a warrant officer? Like neither of them are doing it on active duty anymore, but they're still chiefs. So like I was always more like we had a, our my AWEPS I was on a BN on my last boat and he was a, an FT senior chief and then he okay. went LDO and and became an AWEPS but it's like that dude was a chief like he and he would like come in the mess once in a while and just talk to us but he would like knock and make sure and I'm like dude just walk in like if we don't have a sign up like if in my mind I'm like you're a chief dude just walk in like you don't have to knock on the door but he was yeah. like I think he had experienced some of that negativity and was just like erring on the side of caution. And some of the other guys in that mess were like, no, like that shouldn't be cool. Cause I brought it up one day. I'm just like, how do you guys feel about this? Cause my mindset is you're a chief. Like, so, and I, I understand they're not doing that role actively now, but like the knocking on the door, like, if you know, we're in there watching a movie, just walk in and sit down. So yeah, how, like, how do you feel get, about that kind of cultural stuff? There's some guys that get salty about that, man. And I, I'll tell you a story. It, it just it pops up in my head all the yeah. time when I think about it. But uh, I remember I sit in cruise mess sometimes and eat at the chief's table just because I just like to talk to the guys and see how they're doing. Yeah. And uh, I, I sat down and one of the chiefs looked at me and he's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, if you don't stop talking to me, he's like, I was like, dude, your khaki still smell like the next, bro. Yeah. Calm like, down. Yeah. Like, I was like. You've been in Navy since breakfast. I was like, leave me alone. I was like, yeah. I've been wearing anchors longer than you've been in before. I was like, yeah. I'm sitting down here. The cop told me I could sit down here. Leave me the hell alone. So, yeah. Uh, some guys just get rubbed the wrong way about it. Most of the time I find out it's people that try to apply for the LDO CWO program and got told that they couldn't get in. So. Yeah. That's gross, man. Yeah, I, I just never, I never understood why. Like, and, I mean, that makes sense if it's, if it's that type of like a jealousy thing, but I, I don't know, even like guys like Cobbs, I've had Cobbs that are just like, now nah, they're quitters, they're anchor checkers. And it's just like, dude, like you sound like a five-year-old who got his GI Joe took, like calm down. Like, I don't understand that yeah. pettiness. And it's like you lose out on the experience and 
insight that you would get from those people in training and especially the initiation season like that's more of the time frame where i'm like yeah i want to bring them in now like they need like the best possible person in my mind to teach a new chief that like the role they have in training division officers and that relationship is a chief that's now a freaking division officer like (laughs) kind of makes sense to me like it seems like that's a conversation that would be really productive and there's a lot of really great perspective and experience that would be brought to that training by warrant officers and it just seems like a lot of people are still really like resistant to that it doesn't there's make a, no there's sense there's a lot of master chiefs that i know that are really cool about it though like yeah I say that that are still buddies of mine and we give each other occasional jokes and stuff sure but, i mean but in the end of the day they're like hey man i'm proud of you what you did it, it's yeah. making a difference and you're obviously impacting the community in a positive way so um, right there are guys like that for every for every guy that's a what they call a hater now, I guess that's what the kids say. But um, <laughs> there's like five other people that are positive about it. So yeah, I mean, that's dope. I can't, I can't knock everyone. Yeah. What uh? What is like? I guess it's a cheesy way to say it, but like, what's a day in the life, man? Like, what is what is the actual day to day role of a chief warrant officer? Like in whatever. I don't know how many jobs you've had as a warrant, but like. Uh, what are you what do you probably yeah what do you do like what's your role because like i kind of know generally like with the book answer but like what do you really do on a daily basis i mean because you guys are like unicorns to the fleet like we're all like what are they who are they you see them only once in a while and when you do it's like what is that people think we drink coffee and curse a lot and that's all i think we do i mean that's what they think chiefs do at the time too so (laughs) that's not true but i mean normally normally i start off earlier because I feel like one of those things is you got to have a plan um, to execute. Yeah. Uh, so like if you're, if your guys come in the morning and you don't have anything established, I feel like you're doing them a disservice and that that's when you get the high, the whole guy sitting around doing nothing kind of thing. Right. So right. Uh, I usually come in early. We have meetings, uh, kind of establish the plan for the week or the day. Um, and then I go to quarters and kind of put that out to uh, my department. Like, Hey, this is what we got for the week. Um, and I think as an officer, you got to think overall big picture, right? Like, even though they have a plan for the week, you got to have a plan for the next following months. Like, Hey, what's, what's the closest shark to the boat kind of thing. Right. We're going to have to execute. Uh, and I mean, I let my, I let my guys go home early, man. Like if their work's done, I let them go home. And I honestly stay later. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I honestly stay later because I'm the, I'm the department guy, man. Like that's my department, my division, whatever the case may be. I, the Navy has promoted me to do a lot of things that I can take care of. I'm not saying I'm going to do their work for them, but right. I, I feel like the ownership of the department is on me. Right. So yeah, um, my guys getting that quality of life thing, going home and spending time with their families is important to me. So when their work's done, they're done. Right. So, right. And it's like just a valuing of their time, right? Like, right. If, if there's nothing to do sitting around there and staring at the bulkheads, just going to make everybody angry and exactly. <laughs> make them feel like their time's not valuable. And I mean, the, the common phrase is like, if you got, if you don't got nothing to do, don't do it here. Right. So, right. Um, I, I, I'm full on about getting my guys Liberty. Uh, and not anybody who's worked with me has told you that uh, like, I'm not a stickler for like being there for no reason, but I do work yeah. hard. So like, when we do have to cash that check and we do have to spend those long days there, those guys know I'm not doing it for no reason. You know? Yeah. I was, I, I was like scarred by that culture on my first boat. And then, so like when I was a young chief on my second boat, 
I had a cob that kind of ex- like the well, it's more like just a command culture that kind of expected people to just be there. And it was like, and the cob that came in later that is one of the one of my mentors to this day. He was more about getting people out of there, which I thought was really cool. But it was like, it it was almost like he had to mature into that concept because like it seems like most people think that you're just supposed to be there until sixteen, seventeen hundred for no reason. And it's like in that first job, I'd kind of like employ tactics to like be sly about it and just be like, if I could, if I could allow for it to where we were at in our schedule, I'd be like. Hey, you have a dental appointment today. Wink. <laughs> like leave now at nine or whatever and don't come back. And then on the second boat, I'm a senior chief. I'm going into like a department chief tour. I was just like, yeah, if after lunch and cleanup's done and there's nothing going on, everybody's gone. And if somebody's got a problem with it, they can come talk to me because I'm the most senior guy on the boat, not named Cobb. So I don't care. Like I wasn't afraid of it at all. And I wish I would have been more like that the first time around because it's like, Right. I think I would have been a more successful leader. You know what I mean? Like just by valuing their time and showing them through action that their time is valuable. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a tough road to, it's a tough road to travel, man, because like you don't want to be the kind of buddy, buddy person with everybody right. and like let people get away with stuff. But like I've seen those, those chiefs or those officers that keep people there for no reason. I'm like, you are totally telling that person you don't value their time, man. So, right. Um, but, yeah. And then when a time comes where I got to like demand something of them, like we're going to stay late and we're going to work really hard. It's going to be really right. difficult, if not impossible to get them to respond the way that I need them to. Right. So, yeah. And I mean, I'm big on like, there's a few things I'm big on, like that kind of thing. always having a plan. Like I do like the work list thing. Like I, I always have like a list of stuff that has to get done during the day. And if it's not on the list, I'm not one of like those last minute guys. That's like, Hey, this came up at the end of the day. We got to do this. Right. It's like, whatever's got done on that list, what I made for the week. Uh, if not, we'll take care of it the next day. But if it's not super important or it doesn't have to get done today, I'm not that just in case guy like, Hey, yeah, we got to yeah, stay. No, no 1500 work lists. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I told you before we started, but the, when I, I was listening to you on the, the, uh, only on the midwatch podcast with test depth yep. and, you mentioned that you made chief in six and a half years. Is that accurate? It was like six and a half, seven, some change. Okay. This, like roughly. Yeah. Like, so like, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I made I made it with a dude that made it that fast and he made master chief before me. So it tells you what I know, but yeah. like I, I've always kind of been wary of like that, that process of, and it does, it's not even necessarily chief. It's like they use rank as an incentive through like, the like the nukes use it through the graduate a school and you get e4 and then you can start enlist to e5 and then seven seconds later you're in e6 or if or whatever like musicians use it they come in as e6s and it's just like it's always been something i've been wary of where it's like you could pay somebody more money without giving them rank as an incentive right, right? and so like yep. it feels like you're setting a leader up for failure by like making by, by giving them rank too quickly and so like i wonder like specifically for this question like i just wonder how you feel about like about people making rank that quickly, regardless of how it happens. It's like, I, it's like, I feel like a lot of those dudes, cause I, I was kind of fast, but I, I know guys like a nuke mechanic buddy of mine made chief in seven years. And it's like, and he was a second boat. He walks right into his LCPO tour and it's like, <laughs> yep. it's brutal. And it's yep. like, I don't know. It, and he took a whole bunch of lumps, but then he did really well and, you know, went and did an EDMC tour and then got selected for LDO. Now he's going to, like a carrier or something. Um, 
But it's like it took a minute. And it's same thing with the dude that relieved me on my second boat. I, I made chief pretty quickly. It was like nine and a half years. And so I was on my second boat. But I got like a year as an LPO to kind of like get my feet wet. And then I made chief and stayed. And it was <laughs> it was a special projects boat. So ugh, it was the grossest possible platform to do your first chief store on. And then uh the dude that relieved me made chief on his first shore duty in like seven years and came and relieved me. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is such a bad idea. And he, same thing. He took like 18 months. He got punched in the face. And then over that time he learned a lot, figured it out and did really well. But it's like, I've also seen guys that haven't done very well. And so I'm curious how you feel about that just as a concept. Like, cause I got, we talked a little bit and I I go back and forth about like, should there be a time limit with like specific exceptions for anomalies or should it just be like a, if you meet the requirements, you meet the requirements. Cause I feel like the quota driven system can set those leaders up for failure too, where it's like when I made chief, the quota was 67%. I'm like, that's ridiculous. And it was 67% because the year before it was like 63 and half of those people were lost due to attrition. And so it's like they either got out or they like didn't do well and got told to go home. And it's just like, Oh wow. So how do you feel about that? I don't think there should be a time requirement. Um, yeah. I think it should be more like you're meeting the wickets of what you're supposed to be doing. I, like I said, before we started this recording, um, I've seen guys at six and a half that are ready. I've seen guys that at 18 years, that ain't ready to make right. it right. So right. it doesn't really matter as far as time goes. I think you're at, you have to be honest with yourself because those guys who make it earlier, you're so used to achieving success time after right. time. And I was one of those guys where I made it early, but my first year on board was rough because like I literally went, I made it. And then a few months later, I went to go uh, to a boat in my first chief tour. And I was like 24, 25 years old, man. And, Jesus. Um, yeah. And it was hard. <laughs> it was a, it was a rough road. And yeah, like, I, I took some lumps, some big lumps in the beginning, but I'm a better person for it. But right. I often tell people it was the hardest time in my life, probably yeah. up to that point. So, uh, I think that experience is tenfold, but like, I think depends on who your chief's quarters is. Like, I mean, if your Cobb's an older guy, he's going to have to kind of understand how you are as a person. And you're going to probably need a bit more mentorship than the guy who's 35 years old. Right. But like, that doesn't mean you can't do your job. It's just, he's just probably going to need more help than the guy who's been doing it for a while, you know? Yeah. And that's like, I often wonder, especially I sat the Chiefs board last year and it's like got some perspective from that process, but it just kind of reinforced my idea that like, like I agree with you that there shouldn't be a time limit. And I, I originally thought there should, and I got convinced I was wrong by uh, my buddy Nick that I, I mentioned earlier, but yeah. it's like, I also feel like the wickets, it's like I would want those things to be a little more stringent to filter out the ones that shouldn't make it. But then the problem is it's a quota driven system. So it's like I I can tell you that when I was sitting there, I thought we should have returned a whole mess of quotas. Like I was ready to give half my quotas to somebody else because I was just like this. These records are awful. Um, and, and part of that is the community's fault for not getting them ready. Like I'm not going to just say it's all the all the candidates fault. But also it's just like I don't feel like you're able to even make the wickets like reflect what's what's really needed to be ready so that you get the quality candidate that's ready has a requisite experience whatever or at least set them up in the best way possible because you're always going to take right. lumps but oh yeah for sure but it's like it's like because the system is quota driven it almost feels like you're not allowed to raise the bar as high as you would if 
it wasn't. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I get, yeah. I get what you're saying. I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I know people. I mean, that's obviously their goal. Like uh, as a senior first class, you're trying to make chief and right. to do everything you can. But I think some people don't give themselves an honest assessment. Like, hey, am I really ready to do this? Right. And uh, some people just like being an LPO and they don't want to do anything else, man. Some I know guys, plenty of guys are like, I don't want to be a chief. Like I just right. want to be an LPO. And how do you? Yeah. That's I, okay. Yeah, I I have this idea. Like I knew this dude. He was a nuke mechanic. Really, really senior kid yeah. that zero interest in ever being a chief or like, yeah. so he just refused to qualify engineering watch supervisor because it removes you from eligibility. Right. And like, he didn't even want to be the LPO. He was just, but it wasn't, it wasn't like he was a bad dude. He was just happiest turning a wrench. Right. And it's like, and I talked to him about it one day and I kind of walked away with this idea that like up and out is kind of dumb. I'm like, we need guys like him to be yeah. like, the, at the pinnacle of like the doing like at the pinnacle of the expertise of actually doing that job so you can like teach and mentor all these all these new mechanics and that when something goes horribly wrong and it's like one of those real weird like rare situations with a, a piece of gear that's not doing what it's supposed to be doing that's right. the guy that's going to keep us on mission you know what i mean like to have a guy that's that good at turning a wrench on the type of gear that he is it's like so I kind of I kind of thought, thought about it. it was just like, man, I really wish that the up and out thing wasn't real because I think you'll always have the same number of people that want to be chiefs. And a and lot you of you, yeah. you'd probably have you a lot less attrition if you had if you were allowed to just remain doing what makes you happy. If you take the flip side of that, right, there's a lot of guys that uh, their chiefs kind of push them through, like the guy who didn't want to be the LPO, the chief kind of right. shoved them through. Yeah. And then they get to the chief spot and they fail. Yeah. And they're like, I didn't even want to do this anyway. My chief just wrote my eval and yeah. made me look good on paper. So, right. I mean, when those people get forced in those situations, they often don't perform well. And yeah. so that's a bad thing, too. Right. And then the division ends up suffering because they got this dude who never wanted to do the job in the first place. Right. And But they feel like they have to because they're right. it, that's how the whole thing is constructed. It's like up or out. So you got to make a choice. And like you could find a way to just exist as a first class until 20 years if, if that's the way the progression happens. But it's like they they kind of expect you to continue into leadership roles no matter what. And if you don't, it's going to affect your evals and everything else. And it's like, like, why couldn't we just have somebody that's like, no, I'm good here. And then they can only they can only progress so far in like a seniority style pay scale. But like rank wise it's like no this is where i want to be this is where i'm happy to like you could be a second class forever and it's like you could still get pay raises but you'd have to do certain things much in the same way as far as like becoming like a master at your craft you know what i mean but like like a like a navy t qualifying quartermaster and nav soup and whatever else like and maybe even like going to be in an a nav but it's like that's not necessarily a leadership role so much as it's like it's just you're a really really high level expert at exactly what you do but right. that's all they want to do. And it's like, that's okay. Like I, if, if, if my a nav is only really good at navigation things, is that, is that okay? I feel like it's okay. As long as they can come <laughs> to the ops brief and communicate what we're doing. Like, I, I don't feel like there's any reason why I couldn't have a second class a nav and then just have yeah. a navy T chief that, you know, provides the leadership piece. Yeah. There's guys that, um, there's guys that have do, do well at that role, like being a second class. I've seen yeah. second class a navs and they're good at their job, but, Sometimes just that's just where they want to be, right? They don't yeah. want to be chief. Yeah. Nothing wrong. With I feel that. like, yeah, I feel like that that it would be cool if they revisited that someday and just were like, you know what? It'd be fine if we just had master craftsmen and like they're just really high level experts, but they stay 
at a lower rank because that's where they're happiest. It's like, I feel like you'd get higher retention that way. I mean, they used to do that. Like, I mean, now it's the big thing with like the senior chiefs, they can't stay in the rate. They got to go be a cob before they put on master chief. But like, sometimes there were just dudes that were like FT master chiefs that were just yeah good guys i know i'm a unicorn in my rate man where i made master chief without being a cob and it's like i'm not even sure how it happened because i didn't think it was going to like i mean i kind of do but like it's i kind of got lucky too though because there were quotas and there weren't enough cobs so it's like i was just the next man up and like all right like so they made me a master chief and it's like not that i didn't earn it but it's like it's not normal to see that anymore in the submarine force. They expect you to go be a cop. And that was the plan before some misadventures with cancer and some other stuff that like derailed that as a as a career progression like thing for me. But it's like, yeah, I mean, it was. It's I feel like it's a good thing even to have those. And it's like you could make the argument that I would think and correct me if I'm wrong that like instead of making me a master chief they could have said well if you want to do that be a warrant you know what i mean to because then right. you got a high level because that's kind of like you're the high, highest level technical expert i would think um or at least that's by design i think that's what that is supposed to be is like like a, a warrant in whatever designator is supposed to be like the pinnacle of technical expertise and yeah there's some like leadership stuff in there too but that's kind of the role is like, I'm going to put you in, in, in a very specialized position to do a very specialized job because you have such a high level of technical expertise. So, yeah, and that's what they, I mean, that's what they made the program for is the subject right. matter expert to be the technical expert on that kind of stuff. Right. So, I mean, I, it's almost like you, you would think they could maybe expand that program and then like, yeah, if you want to be a master chief, you need to be a CMC. But if you want to stay a technical, technical expert, you're not going to stay in rate in that role because the argument that's always made for me is like, what role am I going to play if it's time for me to go back to sea and I don't want to be a cob? Like if I, well, you're going to be, you're going to fill a role that first classes routinely fill as a leading CS right. on a submarine. Like, why would I send a master chief to go do that? And I'm like, well, you're not wrong, but also what, I mean, I don't want to do that. And it's not like on an aircraft carrier. Cause I've made the argument like, okay, well, why can't you send me to an aircraft carrier to be like a department chief? Because while I don't know aircraft carrier things, the job is effectively the same. It's just scaled up. Like the, right. we use the same books. We use the same, you know, everything pretty much. Yeah. Um, so I could go do that. And, but they're like, no, because the service fleet doesn't want to give up their jobs or whatever, their billets. And I'm just like, well, whatever, who cares? Like it's big Navy would be making the decision, but yeah, I think it's like almost like they should just create roles where it's like, well, if I want to stay in rate and just be a high level technical expert, go be a warrant. And then you could go be a food service officer all over the place. And it's like, I wouldn't have yeah. a big issue with that. I feel like leadership is leadership, man. Like, I feel like yeah. you can put somebody anywhere and they're like, oh, how do you know he's going to do well? It's like, if a guy cares, man, he'll be able to figure yeah. it out. Like, and yeah, no, I agree. Where, yeah. Somebody asked me that, like, um, I think it was this guy, Dan, that I'm buddies. He's a, a naval special warfare tech. And he, he okay. t- asked me, he's like, if I put you, I think it was him. He's like, if I put you as like the chief of like uh, an AO division on an aircraft carrier, could you be that chief and i'm like yeah as long as you don't expect me to know anything about being an ao like i'll learn enough to like get through meetings and like manage people but like i'll have a bunch of aos around me to to like tell me the ao things but like i can manage and lead people it doesn't matter where you put me i just it'll like where you put me will dictate how much i need to rely on the expertise of the people around me and how much i need like how much of a learning curve there will be for me to like speak the language and 
best understand what I need to do to put people in the in in the best places to succeed. But it's like I'll figure it out, like <laughs> like because that's yeah. how I kind of feel about it. It's like it doesn't really make sense to do that, but I could do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a lot of about who the person is and whether they can right. be honest with themselves and say, "Hey, I don't know this, but I'm going to yeah. figure it out." And some people just are so arrogant. They're like, well, I don't need to know this. I'll do whatever. And that's how they fail. But yeah, I feel like if you approach something saying, Hey, I don't know this job, but I'm going to figure out everything I can possibly do about it. You'll do well and you'll be fine. Yeah. Or having the humility to like let junior people coach you through it, because I can tell you me standing dive was a dumpster fire. It was like, cause I'd never driven the submarine and I'm like, yeah. so they're telling me, Oh, you got to supervise your planes. And I'm like, how am I supposed to supervise people when I don't even know what they're doing? Like, I don't, I don't, I can't tell them, Hey, pull up or like, yeah. Hey, put on a five degree angle instead or right. whatever. It's like, dude, I don't know what they're doing. And so it took me a long time to figure it out. But I also would be, it was the humility of it and just like i i was humble as a person too to enough to like let my planesman teach me where i we'd be in the trainer or even even once they qualified me god help us all and we were underway i'd like let my planesman like say hey dive i need you to put some water aft or i need speed or whatever and i would listen to them under like trying to understand what was going on so that i could filter it through through my brain to like should i should i do this like i mean it is an e4 that like is in a subordinate position but also they have a higher level of expertise at driving the submarine so right. i we developed like this team dynamic where it was like if you guys need something tell me you need it and i'm going to trust you most of the time i'm like there i do have a broader perspective because i'm sitting back there in the chair monitoring everything and I know what the officer deck wants because we talked about it and all this other stuff. But at the same time, the vast majority of the time I'm going to, okay, you need speed. You got speed and I officer deck recommend speed and I'll give him whatever I need, you know, like, but it worked a lot better that way where I was, I think I had a lot less of a hard time with it than I could have. If I'd have been stubbornly sitting there acting like faking it till I make it or something, I probably would have got removed from watch standing because yeah, I would have done I've something stupid. People sit in a chair do that too. And yeah, they'll, they'll just like make it up and yeah. try to figure it out. Yeah, yeah it's it such work. a bad idea. Yeah, it's like, dude, I was I was constantly like making my planesmen talk to each other. The chief of the watch would like sometimes they're qualified dives, sometimes they're not, but they kind of get it. So they like back me up. Like, like we'd be going up to PD and they would be watching like uh, watching all the indications and they like right dive recommend flooding because I didn't tell them to flood. And a lot of times we get to a place where the chief of the watch would just do it. And then they tell me later, like, Hey, I flooded 5k on the way up. I'm like, Oh, thanks man. Like (laughs) I completely forgot. And then I would, you know, like write it down. So I knew where all my water was, but yeah, it's like it, it worked a lot better that I was able to like take the, the suggestions and consistently, um, like solicit that type of advice and backup because then they would provide it and then I would listen. And then when I would listen, it would like reinforce that I valued their input and they, that they could trust me to like, listen. And so then it was just yeah, you like, gotta be, you gotta be cycle. open to that too. Yeah. You gotta be open for to that sure. too because if, if people know that you're not going to be and like, they're like, I already tried to tell this guy once and he's not going to listen to me. Then they're like, they're going to let you fail, man. Right. So oh, for not, sure, dude. Yeah, yeah. I, I had this torpedo man. God, I love him. He's a, he's a funny dude, but he, uh, he was one of my planesmen like this. It was the second deployment I stood dive on. And so they kind of looked at it like, ah, he's more experienced now. Cause the first time they gave me this like loaded watch section of just pipe headers to make sure that I was all right, which I appreciated. But then the second one that I would, they're like, ah, you're, you're like the best dive on board. You'll be fine. I'm like, that's not true, but okay. So they gave me a way less experienced watch section, but I had this one planesman. He's a torpedo man that like 
everybody kind of thought he was like not the best sailor. Like he was kind of like, he was kind of always getting in a little bit of trouble and he had an attitude problem and his uniform was always jacked up and he was late and stuff like that. But he was very good at driving the submarine when he was awake or when he was paying attention. And so like trying to keep him engaged, it was like everybody else had a really hard time with him. And all I did was like value his opinion and listen to him. And like, and I would just tell him like, dude, you're like my most experienced guy. Like I'm relying on you to make sure this PD trip goes well. And I know you know what you're doing. And I I had like a new guy sitting next to him that was, he was okay, but he was still learning. And I'm like, dude, I need you to teach him. I need you guys to be talking. I'm I'm like, I'm counting on you. I need you to like communicate with him, like tell him what you need. And he needs to be telling you what he needs. And so you guys aren't fighting each other. And then I need you guys to be telling me what you need from me. Like if you need water or you need speed or you think this or you think that, it's like, you need to be vocalizing that to me, but also just like letting him know that I trusted him and that I had faith in his abilities. Dude, he he killed it. He would park that thing at PD like a boss. And I'm and everybody's just like, how are you getting him to drive the boat that way? And I'm like, dude, it's not because I'm skilled at driving the submarine. It's all I did was like make him feel valued. Yeah, that's important. A lot of people don't feel that way uh, in their jobs. And so they don't, yeah. they just underperform because they know people think that yeah, that's garbage, like what they expect like, of him. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So if you don't give anybody responsibility, you don't treat them a certain way, they're just going to rise or fall to that level or expectation. Yeah. They're going to fall to that level what people expect out of them. They're just going to do it. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so the a lot of the internet knows you from Sailors and Sticks, which is, I mean, I'll let you explain it. I know it's like kind of like a cigar social club for sailors, but... Um, it, just talk about like how that started, what exactly it is that you guys do. And, and we'll go from there. Cause I know there's a lot there. I want to kind of ask like where it's going and cause it seems hey. like it's kind of blown up really quickly too, but yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Um, yeah. uh, my buddy Nick and I, um, he's in Virginia. Uh, we started it kind of a thing that him and I just did I yeah. go over his house a lot and hang out in the back, back of his patio area. We go smoke cigars, uh, hang out and drink. Uh, he has like the super, he has like the, the nicest bar I've ever been to as far as like <laughs> his house, but he's got all these bourbons, whiskeys, all this fancy stuff. So we'd go over his house and drink and smoke. And, um, yeah. we kind of talking one day and we we're like, why don't we just do this for like everybody? Like this would be cool, man. And yeah. so I kind of, we kind of came up with the name together. Um, we, we started a little Facebook group. We, I think we had like 30 people in it for like a better part of the year because we didn't really yeah. do anything with it and then um i approached uh our tattoo artist because she's tattooed nick and i a few times now um in virginia amy and she did us this killer logo and once we got that it kind of took off from there um, yeah and for the group for the group wise i mean we've done we raised ten thousand dollars for the bonhomme richard when they had the fire on there uh, wow. we raised money for subvets. Uh, they had a sub submarine veterans club in Groton, Connecticut. They had a oven break and we raised enough money for them to buy a new one of those. That's uh, sick. we try to give ba- back to little things that we possibly can. I know we can't please everyone because we're not right. a big group and we don't have a super big amount of funding, but, um, we, we try to get involved as much as we can. Yeah, no, that's awesome. What, uh, so like, what's the aim of the actual, like, group i guess is like what i mean i know you like you explained what you and nick did but like what kind of how how does the 
like social aspect of it work because i like i see the pictures like i i added myself to the facebook group or whatever but like i don't smoke cigars or drink i know i'm a bad person but (laughs) um like just because i thought it was cool and i wanted to know what it was about and then like i've kind of monitored like all the pictures everybody posts and how you guys interact like what is kind of how does that work so uh covid's been a real bummer for all of this so yeah um kind of limits a lot of that but uh as far as social stuff uh based on location, wherever we have members at, we get together. I know I've done a few things here. Um, it gives the guys a, a place to connect and uh, just other sailors. Like, right. We find out that people aren't so far separated. So, I mean, we've had guys in a group that are going through some things and we, we've been able to have uh, connections for like people like, Hey, uh, we're meeting up here. Um, just gives a place of guys for go to go vent to, um, a lot of it's, uh, just for uh, a social aspect as far as us getting together, um, doing those kinds of events. And then, um, there's also an underlying piece for me. I think a lot of that, a lot of people need connection, especially when you get out, right. That mental health piece, yeah. like, a lot of people don't have a social environment to go to once they retire. So there's a lot of guys that have messaged me that retire guys are like, thanks for giving me something yeah. that I can at least connect with. Uh, brothers that are still in, sisters that are still in, people that are out like me and they have something to to bond with. Because when you get out the Navy, it's like you're not on a ship anymore. You're not on a yep. sub anymore. So you don't have anybody, those people kind of like that. Um, yeah. I think that's the underlying thing, too, that we, we kind of uh, discovered about the group as well. Yeah. So like, what are, um, like, what are long-term goals for it now that it's kind of, it, cause it looks like it kind of took off quickly. Like you said, you went a year where it was just kind of like you and some friends and then now it's like blown up and you guys got thousands of people involved. So like, where do you see it going? Like, what are the goals now that it has the following that it does and it seems to continue to grow? So we're big on this, uh, uh, cigars for deployers thing we're doing right now. Um, so every boat or ship that leaves, we give them, a big loadout put usually try to put an ammo can since we're ordinance guys uh, <laughs> put put cigars in there uh we want to keep doing that we want to keep supporting any veteran um armed service kind of things yeah uh i know the overall goal nick and i spoke about is eventually trying to open up our own little spot right like yeah like a shop a bar or a cigar okay. lounge that kind of thing yeah uh nick's would be very good at that he's uh like i said he's probably got the most impressive whiskey collection and bourbon stuff so i know he would be dude very good at that. be the next horse yeah. and cow man yes yeah, uh, in every fleet concentration yeah. <laughs> area make it so yeah. yeah i mean and that that's the eventual goal it's like yeah. him and i speak about that and uh what we want to do because none of us want to be in the navy forever you know what i mean so right eventually you do have to have a life and be an interesting person outside of this so um that's something that we're uh, long-term goals and stuff we're looking at that's awesome, man. And then you guys got a podcast too, right? Yeah, we got a podcast. Uh, I've been, we've been trying to get it more, more active. I know we yeah. just recently recorded, but like, um, due to like different locations and things like that, uh, we got to ramp that back up. I'm, I'm actually, uh, talking, talking to one of the guys last night who I plan on having on this next one. So we're probably going nice. to put that up soon. Um, yeah. So, our podcast is a little bit more racy for the people out there. So, uh, I apologize in advance. If, Adults you know, only. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we joke around, but like, I mean, literally talk about like 
anything you want. And then uh, the funny part is the tramp stamp story where me, about me having to get one because <laughs> of other podcasts. So uh, I heard that. I didn't want to bring it up. I was like, because yeah. I, I, I didn't know if they were serious, but I was like, no, they serious. said, yeah. <laughs> was that you I lose felt, a bet or something? Yeah, I did. Okay. So oh. it was a. Uh, it was this, the conversation was uh, the guys at test step were asking me like, how many tattoos do you have? I was like, I don't know. And they're like, well, you got a tramp stamp. I was like, no. And they're like, well, I bet you we could raise enough money for you to get one. And I was like, <laughs> no, I was like, no way. I was like, nobody's going to pay me money for me to get a tramp stamp. And I was they're like, what's your price? And I was like, 500 bucks. Oh, and wow. You like, should have shot higher than that. That's what I, that's what I, I realized <laughs> at the point. I just thought nobody was going to give $500 yeah, for me to get yeah. a tattoo, right? And uh, I was turned out I was really wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I bet. It was, uh, it was all done like super 90s style. So it was like big dolphins. They were cheesy. They got stars and stuff on them with triangle nice. underneath. It's really good. <laughs> How much did they raise? Uh, I think it was like 550 or something. It was oh, like so right they just went the above like, the line. But somebody like... Like immediately, somebody dropped like a hundred, and I was like, oh, "Oh yeah, I'm in trouble." Uh, uh, yep. So, yeah, but Dude, the rule yeah. was it had to be done in a certain amount of time. So I thought yeah. I was going to get out of it, and I did it. So it definitely was not. <laughs> definitely wasn't one of my brighter shining moments. So to speak. I would have dropped a C note on that just to <laughs> like just to make sure they got over the finish line. What the, That's what the funny. funny part was they were doing it. They were tattooing me, and like. The other tattoo artists were coming in. They were like coming in, like, "Hey man, you mind if I see this thing? I heard you lost a bet." And I was like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Dude, that's freaking epic." That's like, so. Yeah. I mean, good on you for going through with it. Yeah, that's what people say. They're like, "Man, you're a better man than me because I would have got it." I yeah, like, I'd have been I'm like, man, "Nah, I'll give you six hundred bucks man. to go away." <laughs> I'm a man of my word. I did it, but yeah, it's not, like it's, I forget I have it. Like, uh. I was at the beach the other day, and someone was like, "You got a tramp stamp?" I was like, "Oh man, I don't even remember I had that." <laughs> That's so funny, man. Yeah, I learned quickly. Like when I was a chief select, we were underway uh, for almost all the season, and so we, I kind of knew like quotas came out back then, like way early. So I kind of knew I was going to make it. Like I was pretty sure with that quota of sixty-seven percent. So like. I brought a bunch of crap underway and like stored it for fundraising. But uh, w- one of the ways that we fundraised back then was we all raffled off our hair. Like the ones that had it were like, if somebody, if one of our guys wants to shave our head and back then, I, you know, I got some, I still got hair. Like I got, I, I was one of the ones that actually had hair and I, I woefully underestimated how willing my second class was to like, he bought like $150 worth of uh, raffle tickets to try to shave my head and like yeah. he still doesn't know to this day like he's the chief now that he's on his way um back to a boat but he uh he bought the 150 dollars for the tickets and somebody else won and i like i was like you got to redraw that man like so they drew it again <laughs> and it was him because i was like there's no way i'm letting him pay 150 bucks to not shave my head and so that he ended up getting to do it. And he was like shaving shapes and stuff in it and like doing all this. But yeah, like, so I, I'll, I don't think I would ever underestimate someone's willingness to like, like de- deface my body, like shave my head or eyebrows or give me a weird tattoo or whatever. But oh, no, hilarious. I'm sure like I'm, I'm sure people are down to do that, especially like 
I mean, you talk about those halfway nights where like, yeah, they couldn't wait to like put you in the galley or make you do trash or do something. Yeah, so, like, I especially I, if they want to, they're gonna be ready. Yeah, I was a buzzkill on halfway night. I was just like, leave me alone. I don't want nothing to do with any of this. Like, you're not making me an FSA. You're not like to go away. Like, I gotta stay and watch, bro. I'm not like. Like, if you want to take her out the watch bill, I'll smash trash. But otherwise, like, go away. But, uh, yeah. As, yeah. Long as, as long as they took me off the watch bill. But, like, I never – I only got picked for that stuff a few times, man. Like, I I wasn't a, a really, like, disliked dude on the boat. So, like, usually it's the guys who, like – unless – I mean, like I said, I got a couple times because people just thought it was funny to see me and yeah. doing that stuff. But, like, normally it's the people that people don't like that get picked for, like – yeah. And I mean, I, like, I think just by virtue of me being kind of, kind of a hard act with like FSAs, I'm like, there's, yeah. there was enough discontent among the junior enlisted people that had to FSA for me that yeah. I probably would have gotten voted into something, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, yeah, man, that's hilarious. What, uh, you got any, anything else you want to hit up? I mean, we're only at 45 minutes, man. I normally do like three hour podcasts. What else we got? Oh, damn, really? <laughs> not all not always man it's fine i was just i'm looking at the clock i'm like how's it only been 45 minutes i'm like normally i look up and it's been two hours and i can't believe it like good lord got anything else we haven't talked about man uh nothing i don't think anything crazy man uh i usually like to keep it an hour or so because yeah i I know people have like short attention yeah (laughs) have stuff to do i mean yeah i'll probably get i'll probably get complimented for keeping it under an hour for once in my life but uh, well, thanks, man, dude. I appreciate it. If you ever need anything from me, hit me up. I'm down to support no. in any way that I can with like fundraising or or whatever. No um, worries. We gotta. I know you're not. You said you don't smoke, but we'll get you on the show. Uh, oh, for sure, dude. Happy to. That's one thing I'm I'm very good at is talking forever. <laughs> we'll get you on the show. Um, Hell yeah. Uh, do that. Have some guests. You know, because I mean, that's what we're trying to do is expand this out a little bit. And, uh, yeah. We're new to the podcast game, so um, we only have like two, one or two seasons of this. So we're just trying, yeah. to, trying to get, trying to get in everything and try to do it well. So yeah, man, uh, happy to help in any way I can. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. I appreciate your time. All right. I hope you guys like that. Uh, I, I did. Great time. Uh, hope that I get to talk to him again and also get to uh, support. Um, the uh, sailors and six dudes in any way that I can. They do a lot of really cool stuff. And as, as he talked about in the episode, um, there's ways that you can support units going to sea uh, with either monetary donations or sticks. So uh, make sure you check out their website and all of the, all of the things will be in the show notes. If you want to reach out to them uh, and on social media and, or the website, support them by picking up some of their swag and, uh, the stuff that it's all <laughs> hot, like orbits around, um, around cigars and stuff like that. So it's good times. Um, but check those guys out sailors and sticks. Uh, thanks again for, for those guys coming on. Um, if you'd like to support us, check out, uh, first D If you haven't checked it out already, please do, uh, at D apparel or don't give up the ship apparel on Facebook. Uh, it's a basically a sponsor we created for ourselves. That's something I've always wanted to do. Uh, t-shirts, hoodies, stuff like that. Uh, heritage gear that you'll actually want to wear in public. It's, it's, um, pride and heritage stuff has been something that I've always wanted to do, uh, or at least wanted to find stuff that I actually like. 
And uh, it turns out I had to do it myself. So go check that out, dgutsapparel.com. And then there's a donate link on the website if you want to support the podcast. Uh, that is not for profit, only goes towards paying the bills to keep the lights on for the podcast itself, which will always be free. Uh, so if you want to do it that way, you can do it that way as well. DGuestPodcast.com. Uh, if you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast. Or you can DM us on Instagram, Reddit, Discord, any of the things. Uh, feel free to reach out. Always love hearing from from everyone. Uh, it's It's always awesome getting feedback, questions, criticisms, whatever. Uh, and that's how I get a lot of listeners as well. Like the last young man that I just recorded with, and I'm excited to release that. So, uh, yeah, uh, always, always, always reach out if you've got anything for us or, uh, if you're interested in coming on and that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. <laughs>